Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. In today's show, I'm going to be talking to my guest, Laura Bernstein. She leads client solutions at Symphony AM. It's a service that could track the ratings for programming across multiple platforms. They got a lot of press after Alan Wurtzel, the NBC's research president, revealed data estimating ratings for Netflix's shows. Netflix responded by saying the data is remarkably inaccurate. I won't choose a side on this debate, but here's an interesting chat about one company tracking viewers across multiple platforms. We can follow an individual person and understand all of their touch points with media throughout the day, whether that's app usage, web usage, or TV viewing. So there's a lot of information that we're collecting on people, and we know a ton of information about all of our panelists, uh, standard demographics, as well as lifestyle and behavioral demos, such as whether someone is expecting a baby or someone is intending to buy a new automobile in the next six months. The way that our tool works is that we have a panel and everybody in our panel is asked to download an app that sits on their phone. And that's really it. It's probably one of the world's easiest panels to be a part of. The only thing we ask of our panelists is that they keep their phone charged and they keep their phone near them, which pretty much everybody does organically anyhow. And through that app that we ask all of our panelists to download, we're able to monitor all of the websites and websites and apps that they go to and how long they spend on each of those properties. And then also in that app that they download, we have ACR or automatic content recognition technology built into the app. And that's how we collect measurement on TV viewing. So that ACR technology is listening for TV programs throughout the day. And when we make a match, we can identify the content that somebody is viewing. Kind of like Shazam. It's very similar to Shazam, but there's one key difference. When you use Shazam, you have to actively hit a button for it to listen. The way that our app works is that it's passively running in the background at all times. So there's no initiation needed by the user to start the listening process. One thing I want to point out, because this question comes up a lot, um, is privacy. Um, obviously, there's a lot of information we're collecting out on people, and we have access to the microphone on their phones. We create an audio fingerprint for all content that we're listening to. So for every single episode of TV programs on 210 broadcast and cable networks, and also for streaming original, like Netflix original programs, we create a audio fingerprint. That is the only thing that we are listening to. We are not listening to a fight in your household over who has to do the dishes. There's no way we would hear anything like that or any other conversation that's happening. We're just listening for that audio fingerprint. From there, we're able to pull in all of the TV schedule information from a third party, and we can marry that with the TV viewing measurement that we're doing. So we'll be able to tell you on any given week for any episode, what is the audience size of a program, how long they spent viewing it, and where they viewed it. And we can do that through many cuts of the data, whether it's airing week or a certain day part during the day or a certain genre of program. How do you combine all this different data across platforms? The program and episodic 
content that we're listening to is the same regardless of what platform somebody watches a program on. So whether they watch it live or on VOD or on streaming, the episode content is the same audio. So the audio fingerprint will pick it up wherever it's viewed. Um, The way that we differentiate between those is that we have a passive-based survey that we send out to our panelists. So twice a week, our panelists will get a push notification on their phone, and they get an on-screen one-question survey saying, we saw that you watched New Girl last night. How did you watch it? And they'll say DVR, VOD, Hulu, etc. So that's how we break out the different streaming services currently. Um, We're also currently exploring ways to do that in an entirely passive way and bypass the need for the survey there. How are these people selective and how large is this sample size? The panel is currently 15,000 people and we're working on growing that to at least 20,000 this year. The panelists, it's an opt-in panel right now. So anybody who wants to join can join. We're in the process of enhancing the panel so that it's probability-based and it's representative of the U.S. population. Right now, anybody who wants to join can, and then on the back end, we're weighting the data so that it aligns with the U.S. census, but we're moving to a process where from the from the start, we have a more balanced panel. Who tends to uh, want to work with you? What are your customers look like? What are they looking for and kind of general makeup of the types of people work with you? So with the TV measurement, a majority of our clients are networks and studios. And the reason that they're working with us is that we have this unique view where we can look at viewing across each of these platforms from airing date out to 35 days. So in the industry, traditionally, People have measured TV viewing, live viewing, DVR viewing through seven days, and VOD viewing through three days, and then streaming is separated. So what we're able to offer is a comprehensive measurement of everything from the same source. And regardless of how it's viewed, we're measuring that viewing out to 35 days. So it's a more comprehensive view than other tools in the marketplace. And uh, what is your biggest differentiator from Nielsen's? So the ability to have a single source across platforms and to measure everything out 35 days is the key differentiator. The other differentiator is that because we're managing what we create these audio fingerprints for, we also have the ability to measure outside content. So we can and measure Netflix and Amazon and Hulu streaming original programming. Um, we also have the ability to work with our clients and if they have a pre-release on digital for an episode, we can ingest that and measure that viewing before it's on linear network TV. So we're able to customize the package for our clients and measure all of their content, even when it's outside of their TV schedule. So we're able to help them explore different distribution methods and the effectiveness of those. What I found very interesting was how you and your company tackled um, Netflix's ratings, which really wasn't part of the conversation until recently. How did this all come together? And just kind of get a sense of the discussions beforehand and eventual kind of the reception 
reception of it being released? It, it was incredible the amount of press and attention we received after Alan Wurzel from NBC came out with some of our data on some of the Netflix programs. It was um, we expected that it would get people's attention, but it it blew us away. It was above and beyond what we expected. We started developing this product on TV measurement across platforms over a year ago. And the genesis of it is that we would talk to network executives and they were frustrated of what was at that time available in the marketplace on their programs. And also we had conversations and they expressed their frustration at not having visibility into the streaming platforms, which are becoming a bigger and bigger part of their content distribution. And they just don't have visibility into what's happening on those platforms. So hearing those two pain points, we knew that with our app and ACR solution, that we were in a very unique position to tackle those issues. So over a year ago, we started building this product and we released it in September of this year. And it kind of aligned with a a huge influx of streaming original content being available to consumers. I think Netflix is planning on releasing at least 50 new shows in this calendar year. So it really was network executives frustration that that drove this product. And everybody is latching on to this data and not only understanding the audience size of a streaming original program like Making a Murderer or Fuller House, but also the ability to understand how viewers move from one platform to the next. Because we're crossing an individual across all of these platforms, we can go back to a network and say, this is a percentage of people who caught up on back seasons on Netflix or Hulu, and then were converted into new season viewers on linear TV. And being able to understand that interaction between streaming services and linear TV is critical to understand how much content you should put on streaming services or how much content a network should put on VOD. And we're able to help get them the data and the insight to make educated decisions on those fronts. And what was the response you got from uh, the TV executives? They love the data and they love the conversation that we started in the industry. Um, If you talk to anybody at any network, they are frustrated just by the lack of visibility. So our conversation helped move the conversation forward for them. So they were thrilled with the data and they continue to be thrilled with the product as it evolves and we can do more to help them build their strategies with streaming services. Was there any surprises once, you know, this story started, you know, going across the web? I think there are a lot of surprises because people can now put numbers behind things that they just had hunches about beforehand and they can look at how viewing is evolving. Um, I think everybody was intrigued by the data that we've shared on the Netflix program, Making a Murderer. Um, And it's very different from what we see elsewhere. Um, We typically see that any program has its largest audience in the first few days and then slowly grows over time, but with much smaller audiences further out from the live date. Um, Making a Murderer was very different that in its first week or so that it was available, it had small, it had a fairly small audience. And then it just took off um, in week two and week three. 
and is one of the top rated programs out there when you look at the full 35 days out from when it was first released. Um, so there's definitely some surprises and there's some interesting learnings that there are going to be anomalies in how streaming programs are viewed by people. And when you look at making a murder, do you look at the social media that's happening in conjunction with um, your panelists? We're not currently marrying the TV viewing with the with social TV. Um, it's certainly an area that we could explore, um, partnering with someone that has full Facebook and full Twitter information. Um, but it, it's an interesting question because you're right. I definitely think that surge in making a murderer was driven by a lot of buzz around it. And it, it would be interesting to see if that increased at the same time that the viewing took off. While you look at these streamers and, you know, they have just so many originals coming out right now. It's just like renaissance of TV. Do you see a certain pattern, the type of shows that get the largest audiences? We're seeing that a lot of the Netflix programs are getting very large audiences. Um, and in general, some of the more heavily promoted ones like Fuller House um, and like Marvel's Jessica Jones also have large audiences. Um, and we're seeing trends that you would expect to see. So one of the things that we can do also is look at people who watch streaming originals. What is their overlap with the types of programs that they're watching on linear TV? And there's there's things that you would expect there. Um, the audience of Marvel's Jessica Jones, a high, there was a high overlap with the audience of other Marvels and other superhero dramas. Um, whereas the audience that saw Narcos was more likely to be watching news and other current events programs on linear TV. So it's an interesting thing, too. You can learn more about the audience. You could help a network eventually pick a premiere date or learn if there's a premiere date that they should avoid for one of their programs so it's not going head-to-head with a streaming original that ha- that it has a highly duplicated audience with. So you don't want content creators to start cannibalizing the audience versus having kind of a synergy or how things are released. Right. If I knew that my audience had a high overlap with a streaming original that was coming out, I would try not to release it on the same day. With uh, looking at the actual details of who these people are and watch the show, would would there be like a, a clear demographic for who consumes what? There's definitely patterns. One of the bigger patterns we see is based on people watching what is available to them. So among the, where our panel is adults 18 plus, and when we look at that youngest demographic, 18 to 24 year olds, who are more likely to be cord cutters and not have a a cable package subscription and instead just have streaming services. That's where we're seeing a large amount of viewing for Netflix and Amazon and other streaming programs. So, and that's a matter of that is available to them. And there's a lot of buzz around those programs. So that's the largest trend we're seeing in how people are viewing um, but we are seeing that the streaming originals are, are picking up among older demographics as well. It's relatively predictable. It isn't like, wow, we've seen someone at this age range. We wouldn't have expected them based on their background to be watching the show. I think there's overarching trends, but I think there are surprises. Um, I, I was surprised at how popular Fuller House was among those 18 to 24 year olds because those aren't people who grew up watching 
Full House when it was on the air. So I, going into that, expected to see the largest audience among probably that 25 to 44 age group. Uh, but it was immensely popular among the 18 to 24-year-olds. Do you believe that Netflix has a certain special sauce when it comes to programming their originals based on all this data that they're able to digest every second comparatively to, let's say, a more of a traditional uh, creative executive? I think whether you're a network, a studio, or if you're a Netflix, you have a, a lot of information on your users. So I, I'm not sure if Netflix has a competitive advantage there. Um I think they're able to take liberties that a network can't. They don't have to follow as much of a structure in terms of program duration, and there's more flexibility there. So perhaps that could be viewed as a competitive advantage to them. Um, but on the on the digital data side of things, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know enough about what they know about their viewers to have a strong point of view on that. You know, this article came out, you know, about that you're starting to look at their audience. You know, Ted Sarandis had some quotes saying he didn't agree with it. What were your thoughts on their response? So they they came at us pretty hard questioning our data. Um, and I, I disagree with what they were saying there. Um, we are working with clients that did an incredible amount of vetting on our service before coming on board. And the way that they did that is they took our data and did for the programs on their network and on other broadcast and cable networks, they did side-by-side -side comparisons between our data and other data that they have and felt really good about it and moved forward with us because they had confidence in our data. So from that and from that understanding of broadcast and cable programs and the confidence there, there is confidence in the data that we're sharing on streaming originals. There's no side-by-side -side comparison there because the data is not available. But from looking at the broadcast and cable numbers, they were able to, to feel good about what we're doing. So I don't know what his pushback is based on because I can't see their data. But from what I can see comparing our data to other sources... We're confident in the numbers that we put out. It was interesting because they could have just not responded, or but it was very uh, pointed. Why, why do you think that they, they lean into that? I think they were taken by surprise. I think, and this is speculation, I've never had a conversation with Netflix, but, um, but from what I've learned from all of the networks and studios that we're working from is that they see part of Netflix data, but they don't see all viewing of everything. So I think they were taken by surprise that our company can measure what people are viewing of their programs. Should streamers uh, release their ratings? Their argument is that ratings are there. They're the currency for advertisers. So if you don't have advertisers, why do you need a rating metric? Um, so I understand their point of view of why they wouldn't want to share them. Um, I also understand that if you are a TV broadcaster, you want to understand what's happening in the marketplace and be able to have measurement in place that's an apples-to-apples -apples comparison across screens. So I understand why they want to have those ratings so that they understand the audience of Making a Murder versus the audience of Big Bang Theory or Quantico or any other TV program that's on air. And uh, last question, what's the future of your company and how does it relate to the future of TV? So TV is going to continue to evolve and it's going to continue. I mean, we just talked about it a few different ways, but it truly is 
the the concept of TV everywhere is is truly coming to life. Um, the beauty of our technology is that it's nimble and it can capture viewing whenever and wherever it's happening. So whether you're home sitting on your couch watching something live or if you are traveling across the country and watching something in the middle of the night, it's going to be able to track all of that. And I think that's essential because we're moving away from a world where people sit down at a specific time together to watch a TV program that's becoming more and more infrequent. So the ability of our technology to adapt to how people watch TV and the platforms that are providing TV will allow us to continue to comprehensively measure TV moving forward. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. You could contact me on Twitter at PeterKatz1. That's K-A-T-Z. And by the way, the music on this episode is by the group Power Glove, and the track is Power Core.